Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, I'm excited that you're here. I hope you are excited as well. It is really good to be back at the Lafayette campus. Uh, for those of you that I know, man, I, it's so great to see familiar faces. And for those of you who don't know, I hope to get to know very soon. Um, I'm Pastor Chris, and I have been here for the past five and a half years, almost six years at the Lafayette campus. And just almost a year ago, we planted the Youngsville campus, and uh, we were up and going until something called COVID-19 hit us. And uh, we were in a school. And so that school, unfortunately, is no longer doing that, providing that service for us. So for this season, we push pause on the Youngsville campus and we're coming back together. And I'm so excited to be back with you guys. I'm excited to be working with Pastor David and the amazing staff, the Lafayette staff. And I'm so excited to just come back and begin to see the hands and feet of Jesus work in a mighty way. So thank you for welcoming me back. Thank you for all that you've done. And for those of you who are at Youngsville, welcome back here as well. We are now one campus, the Lafayette campus, and that's exciting news today. So you can put, get, put your hands together for that. Well, this morning, we're going to kick off a new series called Your Kingdom Come. That might be a familiar phrase, but we're going to, phrase, but we're going to break that down, and we're going to begin to talk about what that actually means. But before we get started this morning, can we just ask the Lord to bless this right now? Father, we thank you right now that you're in this room, that you're moving and you're working in a mighty way, Lord. Thank you that you sent your son, not just to die on a cross, God, but he died and he rose again. And then he was seated at the right hand of the father and he is called King Jesus. And so we thank you, God, that you're in this place, that as we open up your word, you're gonna transform our heart. I pray as the, as the speaker, Lord, just the, the server of your word, I am not the cook, I'm just the server. And so I thank you, Lord, that as I serve this platter is what you have made for us today. Transform our hearts, our minds, our eyes, whatever we have, God, we give it to you. And I pray as we leave this place, we're not gonna say what a great service or what a great sermon. We're gonna say what a great God that we serve. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. I don't know your religious background, how you grew up, but a little bit about myself. I grew up in Georgia and I grew up going to a Catholic church on and off again. Um, and then when I was about 13, I started going to a Baptist church. So you can imagine how messed up I am right now, right? <laughs> going from a Catholic church to a Baptist church. It's like the end of the spectrum, one way to the other. But what's so familiar at each one of those churches, and they're great churches that I went to, was they said the same prayer. They said similar prayers. And that prayer is called the Lord's Prayer. You guys have maybe heard it before, or if a familiar phrase is the Our Father, right? Let's say the Our Father together, you know? And that's just really how it begins, but it's really called the Lord's Prayer. And what's interesting, when I was young growing up and I was learning that prayer, my kids know it today, not because I repeat it, but because their school repeats it and where they go repeats it. And everybody, we just say this prayer. How many know sometimes we say things we don't really understand all the time, right? And I remember growing up and I'm hearing this prayer that Jesus said to pray in the book of Matthew. And what's interesting enough is I'm confused about it. I was really, really confused because I took some words that were really old 
an archaic King James version-ish, and I kind of made them my words because I thought that's what I heard. How many know you can hear something and you think it's said one way, but it's actually said a different way, right? And you're really confused. And, and in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, here's, here's how the prayer starts. You guys probably know it already, but it's, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, I didn't hear that version. Now, let me, let me share with you what I heard. I heard our Father, which aren't in heaven, right? That word art and aren't are very close together. They mean two different things, right? Art is really are in heaven. Aren't is you are not in heaven at all. And that was me. I, I just began to ask myself as, at a young age, like, why are we saying God isn't in heaven? Why are we praying this prayer? This is so awkward and so weird. And then it got to the second half of that verse, which was, hallowed be thy name. Now, you might be a biblical scholar, but when I was young, I had no idea what hallowed meant, you know? I guarantee if we went through here, some of y'all don't know what hallowed means, but we say it anyway. And I thought it meant, here's my version, hollow be your name, right? Hollow be thy name. So I just thought because God had an O and a D in it, and the O, it's hollow, and so is the D, it's Y'all aren't getting me right now, huh? And that's literally what I thought. And I just confused the whole prayer altogether. So you can imagine, I started off this prayer that God is not in heaven and his name is hollow for some reason, right? We're not off to a good start when we're talking about Jesus. And then this other verse, verse 10 comes in and I really, really got confused about this, which we're gonna harp on today. And this is what this series is really all about. Verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we all read that and we sometimes say that, but we really don't have any idea what it means. Many of us don't. And so this morning, we're gonna begin to look at what that really means. We're gonna begin to look at, be going, how can this be so confusing yet literally, think about this for a second. One of the most important prayers that Jesus prays, the second item on the list, the first one is God is holy. Hallowed just means God is holy. We're giving him glory. Holy is your name, right? We're doing that. And then we talk about the kingdom. So think about this. There's a priority that God has. You see, I understood the rest of the prayer because then it goes, give us this day our daily bread. I loved bread, so I knew what that meant. <laughs> That the rest of it's easy. I go, oh, God, I know what bread is, forgiving people. Jesus. Yes, we know that. But this first part, if we get this wrong, watch this, then the prayer becomes about what we get, not what God gets. It becomes about what we want, not what God is asking us to pray for. Because always God starts big. We need to start big. God, holy, you are great. You are magnificent. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you see, we talk about, like, we say the kingdom right there, but we don't really understand what your kingdom coming. We have no idea that kind of concept there. What's interesting, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four Gospels. They're literally biographies about Jesus. So if you go, I want to know more about Jesus, just read those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible's not all that confusing, but that's just a biography of Jesus. Then if we look at those, one of the foremost things that Jesus began to talk about was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like leaven. The kingdom of God is like a tree. The kingdom of God is like this person. He would tell a story. The kingdom of God is like the kingdom of heaven. They would use those interchangeably. And so think about this. 
The thing that Jesus said to pray for second and the thing that he spoke about most in the gospels in his biography, yet I think the kingdom is one of the things that we miss the concept of completely, amen? We don't really get it because it can be confusing. But it was such a big deal that literally Jesus started his ministry in the book of Mark and the first thing that he preached about, the first words that Mark wrote down were this. This is in Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. This is the first chapter of Mark. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, if we're reading that and we think of the kingdom of God, most of us think of heaven, don't we? We go, man, heaven, I can't wait. It's gonna be awesome. When he says the kingdom of God, it must mean heaven. But I think this is a common mistake. Here's why it's a common mistake. Because if we just go, well, the kingdom of God is later, then we don't do anything about it now, do we? Think about it. We just pray a prayer. We raise our hand to get born again. And we go, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. And then we get to wait for heaven. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You see, the, the kingdom of heaven does encompass, I mean, heaven, and it does encompass that part of it, but that's just a part of it, y'all. That's just a small part. But the problem is, is, is if we just really condense it down to the view of heaven as one day, then watch this, we don't try to expand and build it today. If we just view the kingdom of God as later on, then we don't try to expand and build the kingdom of God today. And that's what it becomes. It becomes this distant, far thought that we have no idea really what it means. When being a part of the kingdom of God is as much today on earth as it is in heaven. Does it start to make sense? On earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is here. The kingdom of God is here. Now, the kingdom is a hard concept for us to understand. Now, why would I say that? Because when I say the word kingdom, here's what I think of. And I think many of you are kind of like me. I think of knights in armor. I think of princesses in towers. And I think of big moats, right? That's, I would love to have a moat, just a moat around a big castle. And I think of them speaking in a British accent and going, let's go to war, Lord, my liege. You know, everyone thinks of those things, movies, TV, everyone. And you're going, we don't really speak that kingdom talk nowadays, Pastor Chris. You don't just really get it. And, and I understand that. But can I just, can I say the real reason why we have a tough time with the kingdom mentality and the kingdom term is this, is because I believe in America, we are addicted to choice. We're addicted to choice, aren't we? We wake up in the morning and we can choose whatever breakfast, I'll, I'll choose whatever breakfast I want to choose, you know? My kids, they're like ages, I have five kids, nine, seven, five, four, and, and one and a half. Y'all pray for me. Every time I say that, somebody pray, say a little prayer for Pastor Chris, right? Think about this. When they get up, they're, they're kids and they're going, I want Cheerios. I want eggs. I want. I'm like, who do you think you are, right? But we're addicted to choice. 
We just, we, we can choose our, our spouse. We can choose our mate. We can, we can choose different things. We're addicted to choice. We can choose what car we drive. We can choose what house we want to live in. We can choose not to live in a house. We can choose to live in a tent. We can choose to live on a farm or in the city. You can choose so many different things. Everything is a choice, and we get to choose each day by what we wear, the way we comb our hair, how we get our hair cut, brush our teeth. Whatever it is, we have choices. And if I'm honest, it's a little overwhelming at times. All the choices we have to make each and every single day. Matter of fact, it reminds me of this restaurant in Atlanta that we have. It's called the Cheesecake Bistro. You guys might have heard it. We have, I think we have some here. But I remember sitting down, and I love this place, and they give you the menu, and it's literally a 35-page book. I kid you not. It is the craziest thing. And they sit down, and I'm flipping through it. 10 minutes later, the servers come. Have you guys decided? I'm like, I'm on page seven. I don't know what to do. Like, will you help me? You know, and most of the time, what do we do? What do you, what do you like here, right? We ask them, like, you just choose for me. Why? Because we're so overwhelmed. You see, I believe the thing we have the toughest time with the kingdom is because in a kingdom, you don't get a choice. You see, we love democracy, don't we? But a democracy is run by people. A kingdom is run by a king. Listen to me. There's one king. I love democracy. I love living in America. We are super blessed that we get to praise how we want to praise, that we get to believe what we want to believe, and we get to choose the elected officials that we want to do. And it's an election year, and it's coming down, and we get to have that right to vote. We get to have that freedom to be able to vote for the candidate that we want. But a kingdom annoys us. Because a kingdom means I don't have control and I don't have choice. Because if I truly believe that a kingdom is a king's domain, that there's one king, that he tells me what to do, I obey what he says, no matter if I like it or not, I'm a subject and a servant of that king. Now, you might be going, man, that sounds harsh. It depends on the king that you have. Some of us don't serve the right king, so we, we wonder why we don't like the kingdom that we have. Or what do we do? We pick and choose the king that we want. Like, oh, I, lo- I want, I like, I, like, I like the New Testament king, not the Old Testament king, right? And we parse God apart and we try to tear the kingdom apart. It's a king's domain. And what's crazy about a kingdom is this, is that if you want to know where the kingdom is, listen to me, you don't look for the kingdom, you look for the king because where the king is, the kingdom is there. You see, That's why Jesus said, the time has come, school, the kingdom of God is here. Jesus was taking over right away to go, I want you to understand something that in the garden, in Genesis, you lost dominion. I had to give it over control to Satan because you disobeyed what I asked you to do. You weren't ready for a ruler. You weren't ready to walk with me, to be in relationship with me. So when you disobeyed by eating from a tree, I had to give the dominion, the kingdom, the ruler over to Satan to rule the earth. But now when Jesus comes, here's the good part. He's saying, my kingdom is here. I've come to take back what is mine. You see, he came to establish the kingdom of God. And when we think about it like that, we're going, whoa, wait, Jesus is king. He's the one true king. So we don't need to look for a kingdom. Just look for the king. You know, it's interesting to see what my kids think about God or what kids think about God. 
Because usually when they do a homework assignment or something at their school, they'll bring home a, a little drawing or something. And I'm always interested to see how, what they're being taught. I know what they're being taught at home, but I don't know what somebody else is saying. And listen to me, if you're not teaching Jesus, if you're not teaching God at home, somebody else is teaching it to him somewhere else. It's not always the God that you want him to serve. And so I'm there and it has, God is, and it has just a circle, like a frame. And they could draw whatever they wanted to. And I'm just like, this is going to be interesting. And so he ends up, my seven-year-old brings home and he's like, daddy, look at my picture. And it says, God is, and it has this face and a beard. Why does God always have a beard? I'm not sure. But when we all picture God, he has a long white beard for some reason. So he had facial hair. Why couldn't he be smooth skin? I don't know. But he had a big, long beard. Here's what's the cool part is he had a crown on his head. My kids drew a crown on God's head because here's what I want them to know, that he is the ruler and the ultimate reigner, the ultimate authority in our house and overall. And there's nothing that we can do about that. See, our view of God is he is king. That is what the kingdom of God is. It's not a place, it's a person. Some of us are looking for the kingdom of God. Some of y'all, watch this, are looking for the kingdom of God here in America, trying to create the kingdom of God through our political system. Let me tell you right now, they've been trying to do that for a while. It doesn't work. The kingdom of God is not a place. We're not looking for America to make America heaven because it is not heaven. We are looking to Jesus to bring down his kingdom here and we become a part of the kingdom of God. See, that's the cool part about it. We get to see the king and we get to see the kingdom. And too many of us look for that place and we don't look for the person. So this morning, I want us to look in Luke chapter 17 where the doctor, Luke was a doctor who, who really got pulled together a bunch of history facts and everything else and he pulled together at the time of Jesus and he pulled all these facts together by different people and he came and interviewed them. He's a doctor, so he's really thorough. And Luke came in and he put together this biography of what Jesus said and what he did. And I wanna look at a picture of really what this looks like in Luke chapter 17, where only one out of 10 truly noticed that the kingdom is here because the king is here. But the other nine missed. They missed the kingdom because they missed the king. And so I don't want us to miss the king this morning. So let's look at Luke chapter 17. It's gonna be up on the screen or you can turn to it in your Bibles as well. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11 through 19. One of my favorite, favorite passages. Here's what it is. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to God to give praise to him except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I want, I want to talk through just, we're going to talk about the breakdown for the next 10 minutes or so. Four observations, four things I want to show you for the one who noticed the king and came back to him. Here's what we can learn. Number one, we saw that there was recognition, right? The recognition that he didn't settle for just a good feeling. So imagine this picture of these 10 lepers who were outcasts in society and they were really seeing Jesus walk and they just go, hey, Jesus, 
master, have mercy upon us. So they obviously have heard of Jesus. They obviously have heard of what he can do. And so they ask him and they say, have mercy on us, have pity on us, please. We need to be healed. And so Jesus tells them, go, go, show yourselves to the priests. Now, what's interesting about this is cleansing was for religious purposes. I had a, a, a woman in the back ask me a great question after the first service. She, she said, well, wasn't, weren't those other nine just being faithful as well? Jesus told them to go, so didn't he? Listen to me. Jesus told the 10 to go, show themselves to the priest, because that was the law of the time. The Jewish law said to get clean, you go show yourself. But listen to me. When the recognition of the king comes, then we go back to the king. We don't have to go get clean somewhere else, y'all. And so the one that came back recognized what was happening. And he saw that he was cleansed just like the other 10. But something inside of him couldn't settle for just cleansing. How many of y'all know we can really look good on the outside, but the inside is all messed up, y'all? What a picture it was when the leper realized that his skin was healed, but he goes, Something's different now. We can go and we can get a good feeling in church and I want you to be here and raise your hand and hallelujah, praise Jesus, you know, and put on your Ned Flanders. Hey, howdy ho, neighbor, how's it going? God is good. You know, you can do, those are all good things and you can put on the face and you can put on the mask, literally and figuratively, you can put on the mask and you can, you can say amen and show everybody, get all dressed up and I look good but, and, and the skin is all cleansed but the inside is still rotten, y'all. And so what do we do? We settle for a feeling. We come in here after last night, last week, last year, maybe after yelling at your wife in the car, and then you come in, hey, neighbor, God is good, you know. <laughs> Listen to me. It's not being fake. It's just you're trying to fix the wrong thing. Listen to me. Jesus didn't cleanse them so they could just go back into society. And just go, hey, let me go about my life. That's looking good on the outside. He came to change the inside. You see, the gospel, the gospel message is about transformation, not about behavior modification. Listen to me. It's about transformation from the inside out. And see, this leper, he was healed on the outside, but something changed on the inside. He recognized the king. He recognized that he didn't need to go to a priest. He didn't need to do anything like that. He didn't need to just get a good feeling. He needed to go back to the king because he saw the king and we become obedient to him no matter if it feels good or if it doesn't feel good. So many times we come into church looking for a feeling and we go, you know, that pastor, it just, I didn't feel anything from him. He wasn't very good. You know, he didn't preach to me. And we think church becomes about us. What if church was meant to be about equipping us, empowering us, celebrating Jesus for us to go out Monday through Saturday to be the kingdom of God all over Acadiana. What if that happened? What if we didn't view the kingdom as the church, but viewed the kingdom as within us and wherever we walked, the kingdom would go? How would you walk differently? There's a recognition that has to happen where we don't settle for the king. We settle for the, for the feeling but we come back to the king. And that's what that leper did. He ended up going, wait, hold up. I need to come back. And here's where we go to number two is the repentance. He turned away from and he turned to. In verse 15, we see that it says one of them, when he saw that he was cleansed, he came back. Everybody say came back. 
he came back. He turned away from religious cleansing and works to become better, and he turned to the king, watch this, who had the authority and power to make him better, y'all. I know some of y'all, I've never done this before, but I've seen it happen before. Some of us, you know, we're picky about our food in the restaurant. We're picky about those things. And, and, or maybe you're, 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 you're on the phone with a cable company and they're just annoying you. I've been there, done that, right? And, and you're just, you're on the phone with them. And here's what I've heard all the time. Here's the word. Can I talk to your manager? Who's your manager, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've done that, but some of y'all, I know you've done that, right? Who's your manager? And I, I remember a lady next to me at the fast food, and she's like, can I just speak to your manager, please? Why was she asking that? Because she wanted somebody with authority and power, y'all. Why would I go, why would I go and show myself to, these, to the temple, to the religious figures, when I got the king who has the authority and power to go back to him? Why would I do that? And what ends up happening is we do all these religious things because we think it's gonna be good, but we neglect the king the whole time. The one who has the authority and the power to change us in an instant. Heal us in an instant. And you see that turning back from, turning to, turning away, and turning to, that's repentance. Repentance literally means a change, a 180, flipping all the way around. And when you come back to the king, here's what you're saying. I'm saying no to the world, I'm saying yes to the king. I'm saying no to my way and what I want. I'm saying yes to what the king has me, whatever he has for me. And so watch this. We can't sit there and go yes and yes. Because then what we're doing, we're picking and choosing what we really like about this book and what we don't. And when we pick and choose, we're really not serving a king. We're serving our own God. It's called an idol. And we begin to pick and choose. And so when we repent, we don't just turn from our sin. We turn from our way of life and go, Jesus, what you want me to do, I'll do. Where you want me to go, I'll go. But I just want to be next to the king because he has the authority and he has the power to do those things. It's to hand over our allegiance and our control. And for some of that, me included, is really tough to do. Amen? And we get to be a part of the kingdom. But repentance is hard. You see, I've, I've noticed, especially in this season, as we're getting closer and closer towards the election and what's going on, and I'm not going to speak to any of that, but I've noticed there, there are some Christians that are more loyal to the political kingdom than they are to God's kingdom. Now, if that hurts... Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I'm just putting a finger where the Holy Spirit is going right there, right there, right there. Because I see all these fighting on Facebook. I see believers, I'm telling you, Christians, fighting on Facebook more about their political candidate and political kingdom than they are about the kingdom of God. If you want to fight about the kingdom of God, I'll referee that all day. I'll come in and you can do it. But if you want to fight about a political kingdom that's gone here today and gone tomorrow, I'm telling you right now, I'm not a part of that. Do I love this country? 100%. Do I believe in our political system as messed up as it is? Yes. Why? Because we have messed up people, y'all. We are messed up. But I'm going to fight and I'm going to stand for God's kingdom, not for any political candidate or political kingdom. 
That's the hill that I want to die on. But listen to me right now. I would question, listen to me, whether they actually belong to the God's kingdom or not. Because when you're in the kingdom, you're all about God's kingdom. Christianity cannot be condensed down to a born-again prayer or saying a prayer doesn't mean you're a part of God's kingdom. It takes your everything, meaning you give every single part, the relationship part, the political part, the money part, every single part. We can't parse and just go, I'm gonna call you Lord and Savior. I just want the benefit of heaven, but I don't want the, the following and the allegiance to Jesus as king. We can't parse it. Because then I would question whether you're really in the kingdom of God. This is not about you working. You're not earning your way. Jesus has done all the work. But we are called to respond, to repent and turn and follow his ways. And if we don't, then the question is, are you in the kingdom or are you not in the kingdom? It's a hard truth for us to swallow, but the king wants everything. And the king, watch this, will give you everything. And watch this, as we walk with the king, the king suffered, didn't he? He did suffer, Jesus suffered. But, but, uh, but I'm, I thought as a Christian, we don't suffer. I don't want to go through hard times. Then this might be the wrong kingdom for you. Because Jesus told us, when you become a disciple of mine, you better count the cost. No one goes into a war without first counting the cost. No one builds a house without first counting the cost. You count the cost. But that's what it takes. It takes our everything. It takes our repentance, our turning away and turning to Jesus this can't just be lip service. There has to be a movement, right? And that's where number three comes in. We see the response. We see the response. That this leper, he showed his belief through his actions. It was faith, I believe, and it was works. Here we go. Let's go together. It was faith and works. We see in verse 15, it says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. Verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him and he was a Samaritan. So he didn't just recognize the king, he then responded and we see his response by how he worshiped Jesus. Now, are you telling me, Pastor Chris, that I need to go and dance and sing? Please, God, no. Some of y'all don't need to dance and sing. <laughs> Look, we don't need to do that. I've seen some of y'all dance. Don't dance, okay? And some of y'all don't need to sing. But if you feel like it, do it. If God moves you in that way, do it. It's an expression, a manifestation of what God has put inside you. I can't hold it in, right? When the saints won last week and like they're gonna win tomorrow, let me say this, are we gonna cheer? Yeah, yeah we are. Well, guess what? The victory king, the king has won already and we get to cheer for that as well. And that's the glory of God right there. We respond to that. And by praising him loudly, by, by throwing himself at his feet, here's what that leper was telling Jesus. He was saying, I give you my loyalty. I submit and surrender to your ways and I will follow the king. He basically screamed through his actions, I'll follow you forever, wherever you go, whatever you tell me to do, I will do because you have the authority and power to heal my body. Then you must have the authority and power over everything. You are the one true king and I will, I will be a servant in that kingdom until the day that it comes. You see, the mindset began to change. This is what you do when you recognize the king. You give your whole life, you give your everything to become a disciple of Jesus. Now we get confused sometimes when we hear that word disciple. But here's exactly what it means. In John 8, Jesus said this. He says, so Jesus said to those who believed in him, they believed. Here's what Jesus said. If you obey my teachings, then you are really my disciples. 
He wasn't saying you have to be perfect. He wasn't going, I need you to have perfection. He was, saying, he was saying, I want you to have direction in your life. He was saying, I want you to understand this word the best of your ability and begin to walk it out through the Holy Spirit. And through that, the kingdom of God is within you. And as you do that, you conform to begin to look like the king and you become a soldier and you become working in the kingdom with the gifts that God is giving you, expanding and building the kingdom of God. Not his church, not the church, but the kingdom will expand far surpassing anything that we can even see, y'all. That's how big this is. And what I love about this season, amongst all the chaos that COVID has brought in the year 2020 with murder hornets and everything else, 5,000 hurricanes are now in the Atlantic somewhere. So what else, 2020? You know, and we look back and we go, great. Amongst all the chaos and the craziness of 2020, can I tell you, God did, is doing and did and is doing and will continue to do something special in the church. What is he doing? He's hitting the reset button. He hit the reset button. And he says, I want you to be more about discipleship than anything else. Because that's what he's commanded us to do. We go back to Matthew 28 where he says, go and into all the nations, go and make disciples. So watch this. We've made Christianity a come and see. Come and see this. Come, come see. Come see. We, we say that a lot here, don't we? Come see. Come see. When really the gospel is a go and tell. It's a go and tell. And what I love about this season as we kind of hit the reset button here at OSC is we've had the opportunity to really get back to the heart of what the gospel is about, which is transformation and then sending, go and tell. And what's so great about it is we have Dr. Scott Adams on staff. And so he's created a resource for us called the Gold Book. It's really called the Discipleship Book that was written by Dr. Scott Adams for our Savior's Church and Acadiana area. It is specifically for us. And the cool part about it is discipleship. You just can grab this book, get with somebody and begin to walk. And it's literally all scripture. You're just learning, asking questions, growing with somebody, everything else. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. This starts from the very beginning and goes all the way to the end and goes everything you need to be a Christian and, be, and walk in the kingdom of God. But there's a response, right? It's not just I believe, it's a now I'm going to take this and this, the gold book and the Bible, and I'm going to begin to walk in relationship with somebody because you don't do it alone. I don't want you to sit at home and just read this book and do it yourself. I want you to walk with somebody. I want you to grow with somebody because that's what Jesus did with 12 teenagers who then went and 2,000 years later, we have 2 billion people that call themselves Christians. You see, that's what discipleship does. It's expanding the kingdom of God. So here's what we're gonna do. At the end of this service, you're gonna have an opportunity to grab one of these gold books and begin to walk in relationship and discipleship with other people. You're gonna begin to grab this book and begin to walk through it, learning what it means to be a Christian. We're launching this today and this is not gonna be a one-time thing and then we're done. This is gonna be a continual thing that we do. There's no time frame on discipleship. It's not like, hey, finish these 11 chapters and we'll knight you a disciple. You know, it doesn't work like that. You're perfect, go. It, it doesn't, it's a continual thing. Until the day that I die, I'll be trying to strive for perfection. I'll be trying to strive to be the king and be like the king. Will I ever make it? Absolutely not. But I will work tooth and nail to get there and I will be a part of the kingdom. And the closer I get to Jesus, the more I don't like what's inside of me. And then he 
removes that away through his Holy Spirit and then we get closer to him and he removes it again and I get closer to him and time and time again I begin to go, hey, I'm around you a lot. I, we're beginning to talk the same, look the same, walk the same and it's different. Why? Because I'm transformed. So today you're gonna have an opportunity to go out there and you're gonna get to buy one of these. Oh, you're not giving it away, Pastor Chris? Hold on a second. These are gonna be $5, but listen to me. The reason we made it, this wasn't to make money. It was so that if you really wanna be in discipleship, it's gonna cost you something. Many times we get these free pamphlets and what do we do? We just throw it away, don't we? But when it costs you something, you're a little more invested in it. You're a little more bought in. And the cool part today, we only have a limited quantity. And if you don't get one today, that is okay. We have more that will come on Friday. We have like 2,000 more. We're ordering them each week. I mean, it's huge. So we'll, we'll get you some. Don't worry about that. But as you go back there to the back, there was a line almost out the door this morning. of People, you can buy multiple copies if you want. And I would encourage you to buy two and walk through it with somebody. And as you, as you buy one, you're going to fill out just a little card. And this card is basically saying, I, I want to connect with somebody. When, when we begin to launch discipleship groups here coming up very soon, I want to get into one of the groups. I want to be contacted because I'm interested in walking in discipleship with someone or even a group. We want to help facilitate that. Because this is what it is about. Listen to me. It's not about the book. The book doesn't change you. The Holy Spirit changes you. But we have to be open and available and willing. And if we're not open and available and willing, guess what? We'll never change. It's like saying, it's like trying to pour liquid into something that has a lid on it, right? You can't pour anything in, but take that lid off. It'll fill all the way up. Some of y'all need to take your lid off so you can get filled up and get into discipleship relationship with people and go and make disciples because this is how the kingdom of God spreads. We are disciples that make disciples. And finally, number four, we're going to close right here, is then came the revelation and the release. The revelation and the release. He was saved and he was sent. We see in verse 17 that Jesus asked this rhetorical question, weren't not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? It's like Jesus was making a joke. He's like, whoa, whoa, I want to make sure that my healing worked on everybody. Did it work on everybody? Did it work on the other nine? I just wanted to make sure because I only found one that came back. And it was this foreigner who was never supposed to inherit the kingdom of God. Samaritans weren't supposed to inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what they were supposed to do. They were half-breeds that were cast out of the Abrahamic covenant. So as they're cast out, he's going, the only one that returned was the foreigner who wasn't even supposed to be in the kingdom of God. And what's interesting is Jesus tells him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. You see, the revelation comes when Jesus uses the word well and not cleansed. What's the difference, Pastor Chris? I'm not gonna give you a big Greek tutorial, but I'll tell you this. The reason Jesus didn't use the word cleansed, he used the word well, because the word well is sozo in Greek. Guess what it means? Saved. He said, when you came back, when you repented, when you recognize the king, that you turn from your ways and you go, I want to follow the king, and you responded. There was an outward manifestation and a confession that Jesus is Lord. Something inside you changed. 
where those other ones got cleansing and they got the benefit, you're getting saved. Lord, I don't want the outside to look good, but the inside not to not be good. His faith saved him through grace. And he was saved from his sins. But listen to me, he was saved for a relationship with Jesus. To walk in it with him by faith. So what did Jesus tell him to do? Rise and go. He didn't tell him to stay. He didn't say, I want you to sit in church. Just come one hour a week when you're a believer. And it'll be great for you and your family's going to be good. And he said, no, 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 no. I want you to rise and go. You recognize the king. You are saved. You have inherited the kingdom of God. Now I want you to go and be the kingdom of God. There are many of us in here who have been sitting far too long. And guess what? We need to rise and go. There's some neighbors that need to know the kingdom of God is here. There are some friends and family members that need to know the kingdom of God is here. And now is the time to repent and believe. You know, it's interesting. I... I learned something to yesterday as I was finishing up my sermon. I learned that Ambassador Caffrey is actually a real person. I had no idea that. Some of y'all are like, duh. No, I had no idea. I thought it was just a road, an extension, a highway, whatever you want to call it. I just was, I drive on it every day. But I learned that I think his name was Jefferson Caffrey really was extraordinary. And he was ambassador to multiple countries. Now, what I find out so interesting, really, about being an ambassador is, is this. Is that an ambassador is someone who represents a country, a kingdom, a king in a foreign land. Isn't that interesting? That we see that this ambassador carries the flag, right? We have embassies and ambassadors that are there. And that plot of land is literally either Brazil or Egypt or something, Cuba, whatever it is. And when you go to another country and you're there and you see a U.S. embassy, that is considered U.S. soil because they're representing our country. They're representing the beliefs. They're representing our political system. Right, wrong, or indifferent, they're representing something bigger than themselves, the kingdom. And so when we are in Christ, we get to be ambassadors to get to carry these things in a foreign land. Listen to me, we are in foreign territory. This is not our home. And we get to carry Christ. And is it going to be difficult? Oh, yeah. Are people going to yell things at you and throw things at you and call you names? You better believe it. If it happened to the king, it's going to happen to the servants. But the king gets to be right next to us and say, I've been through it too. It's always better on the other side. Just keep going. Just keep going. Represent the king. There are some of us in here today that maybe you've raised your hand and maybe you've prayed a prayer, and, but you've never really fully committed your life to Jesus and be a follower of Jesus. You've intellectually believed in Jesus, but you've never followed Jesus. And today I want to offer that to you, to become an ambassador by becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. How do I do that, Pastor Chris? It starts with a confession. That's what the leper did. 
It's actually what Paul says to do in Romans 10, 9 and 10, where it says this, if you confess, everybody say confess. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning he's Lord over my life and everything else, and believe in your heart that God was raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, sozo. You'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. But listen to me right now. Before you go, yeah, I'm a, I'm a committed follower of Jesus, I want you to count the cost. Count the cost. It will cost you something to be in the kingdom, but your benefit is far outweighs what it costs you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we close? Next 30 seconds. If Jesus is Lord in your life, and that's, guess what that means? That means you turn from every other thing that you've trusted in and you turn to him. It's called repentance. And we repent of our sins. We renounce every other allegiance and we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. But it'll cost us something because he saved us from our sins, but he saved us for something far greater, a relationship with him. Now, I'm not asking if you want to go to heaven. I'm asking, do you want to be a committed follower of Jesus, a disciple? And in just a second, we're going to pray a prayer. The prayer isn't magical. It doesn't save you. By believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, that saves you. But you're committing to being a follower of Jesus with everything that you have. And so if you go, Pastor Chris, I want to be a committed follower of of Jesus today. Without any hesitation, I just want you to raise your hand and wave it at me right now. I'm the only one looking. Just raise your hand. I see you. Hands all over. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. I I thank you. I see you. This is not for me to see. This is for, for, this is your confession. This is right here. If that's you, just raise your hand and wave it at me. Awesome. Thank you. Well, this morning, we're going to have that confession. We're going to go ahead and go and we're going to pray this prayer together. I want you to repeat after me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you, no matter what it costs me. And I declare today that God is my father, Jesus is my savior, and the Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Come on, can we give it up for all those who prayed that prayer?